0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Odd Lots podcast. I'm Joe Weisenthal.
1: And I'm Tracy Alloway. So, Tracy, we've
0: obviously been talking a ton on this show about um, supply chain bottlenecks, logistics and so forth. Probably, you know, we've talked about all of it, but had a, we've had a pretty emphasis on uh, ships, vessels, the sort of like international freight aspect of global supply chains.
1: I think that's right. Although I feel like we're getting more and more specialized. So we started with container shipping and then we got into break bulk a little bit on our previous episode and we're thinking about doing a barge episode now. Uh we haven't gone into I guess like land transport, but it does it does feel yeah. like Like we're working our way through all the different modes of transport. Like, I wonder if we're going to end up doing a sort of odd lots coracle episode at some point, like the wackiest modes of moving goods.
0: Yeah. I mean, we got that's that's the way to do it. Zoom out, go global and then start (laughs) to uh, drill down to all the different nooks and crannies. But as you mentioned, we did a sort of uh, the bulk shipping episode a couple of weeks ago. And uh, at the end, we're like, okay, we got to go trucking next. And so now it's time for uh, now We got to talk about
1: trucking. All right. uh, The truck driving episode, it's time has come. I cannot contain my enthusiasm for this episode because I think I mentioned this before, but one of my uh, dream jobs that I used to fantasize about was being a truck driver. I think like I'm sure I have a romanticized notion of what it is. And obviously part of our conversation is going to be about how difficult driving and the job actually is for those doing it on a day-to-day basis. But I have a personal interest in this industry, and I'm really curious to hear what exactly is going on at the moment.
0: I also have a personal romanticized interest, not because I ever aspired to be a truck driver per se, but I'm a big fan of country music and there's <laughs> uh, you know lots of songs about truck driving. And I was a huge fan as a kid of that movie, uh, Convoy also has a great soundtrack of songs (laughs) about truck driving, Six Days on the Road, another good song. So I'm also very interested in this, um, and I'm very excited for this episode. So after we did that last episode, we're like, we got to do the truck driving episode. Today's guest, multiple people reached out and said, you Mm got to get on this guy. He's the obvious uh, next one for it.
1: Yeah. And I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, one of the reasons this has come up is because we hear these reports of a shortage in truck drivers, which is, again, feeding into the supply chain issues that we've been discussing on AllBots for the past year now. But there's a big question mark over whether or not that's actually happening. And again, to to that point about you and I both romanticizing the job, like there's a disconnect there, isn't there? If there is right. indeed a shortage... And yet people like you and I are thinking, oh, it'd be nice to drive a truck around and, you know, have an opportunity to eat junk food and listen to country music and and be like Chris Christopherson and Ali McGraw in Convoy. Uh, something's going on. So I'm really interested by this dynamic and uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation.
0: Exactly right. So as I mentioned, everyone said you got to reach out to this guest. So I'm very excited. We're going to be speaking with Craig Fuller. He is the founder and CEO of Freight Waves, which uh, which is kind of like the Bloomberg terminal for uh, transport, could be said. They cover uh, transport from a news perspective. They also have data, all that stuff. And he is going to tell us all about um domestic truck industry and how stuff gets around after it's unloaded from the port. So, Craig, thank you very much for joining us. Hey, Joe,
2: Tracy, great to be here.
0: Craig, so excited to talk to you. Um, obviously, there's lots to cover. And of course, we're going to get into all of the supply chain messes that we're seeing right now. But as always, you know, it sort of helps. And I think it's especially true in trucking to talk about what the pre- crisis environment looked like? Because if I recall from seeing the reporting, there was a lot of like very intense boom and bust cycles just in the last few years leading up to 2020, periods where it was very good, periods where it was weak. How would you describe the sort of health of the industry pre-crisis?
2: Yeah, so this is an industry that runs on very thin margins. Uh, So if you take the industry average in terms of profitability, typically in a, in a good year, the industry will generate 3% gross profits. And so it is not an industry that is typically very profitable. There's a lot of, there's very, very few barriers of entry, uh, and it's a very cyclical industry. And so it's, it, and there's reasons uh, of when the market's good, uh, where costs, go up significantly because the input costs go up. Uh, and when the market's really bad, uh, obviously revenue you know, dries up when the economy dries, it's sputtering. And so because of all those reasons, it's a very cyclical uh, industry. And so as you mentioned, over the past, past five years, we've had two freight recessions, Uh, in the past five years and two big boom cycles. And that was pre-COVID. So you have fuel costs that are a big input cost. You have labor costs that are a big input cost. You have driver turnover. Uh, That's a massive uh, issue for the industry. Uh, You have a regulatory environment, which continues to be more and more restrictive on whom you can hire. And then you have uh, a whole set of liabilities that the trucking companies have to accept because of you know the way that that they manage their drivers and are responsible for them so if those drivers end up in an accident uh, those trucking companies can be sued for tens of 20 30 millions of dollars and so it's an industry that has a lot of structural challenges but it has no barriers of entry so anytime you see the market uh, become really strong like every other commodity market there's a massive massive boom cycle uh, and then, when the economy slows down, because you've overbuilt the capacity, the market crashes.
1: So, when you say there's no barrier to entry, could you maybe describe what that means exactly in practice and what the players in the trucking market actually are at the moment? Like, are there a few companies that dominate this form of transport in the US? And are there also smaller players that might be enticed into it at times when they can get? paid a lot of money for doing it.
2: Yeah, so the market is incredibly fragmented. So I know you guys have have done a lot of shows on the global shipping market. Uh, The differences between global shipping and trucking is that... If you take the top 10 shipping carriers, they represent 85% of the capacity. So it's a very concentrated market. In trucking, it's completely different. If you take the top 10 trucking companies, you'll come up with about 12% of the total capacity. So
1: there's no like Maersk equivalent. None. And huh. so, like
2: the largest asset-based trucking company is a company called Knight Swift out of Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, it does about five and a half, six billion dollars in revenue. Uh, on an industry that does about 800 billion. So if you sort of look at look at it, it's it is a very, very fragmented market. Uh, And for those reasons, you have a lot of independent decision makers out uh, driving a lot of the uh, uh, issues in the market. And so, Tracy, if you wanted to go start a trucking company, Mm -hmm. you could do that today. You would go buy a truck, you would get a CDL, and then you would be off to the races. There's very little Uh, that you would have to do beyond that. And so uh, it's an industry that allows people who uh, are looking for a level of independence and who want to own a a company to go start a trucking company. Um, The challenge is that oftentimes those people don't have strong business acumen or experience. And so you have this massive boom-bust cycle. I was just looking at the number of new trucking companies that entered the industry in the last 30 days, and we had 11,000 New trucking companies that entered the industry within the past month.
0: Okay, that's a, okay. Now I feel like I want to just like do an episode on this alone, but actually I want to follow up on this point. So let's say Tracy followed her dream and wanted to be a trucker, and all she would have to do is buy a truck, get a driver's license, and she's in business. The obvious, the other question is, is there a plug and play network? that allows her to immediately get jobs? Like what is the process? So if 11th, obviously it can't be too much of a relationship-based business where you need to have uh, connections. If 11,000 companies, I have to imagine many of them extremely small, maybe one or two people can enter. So when you someone starts one of these companies, is there just some sort of automatic way where they can start bidding for jobs?
2: Yeah. it's essentially like selling e-commerce on the internet and so there are what they call load boards which work a lot like craigslist where i can take transactions think of it uh, you know probably the best analogy is almost like an internet dating site uh, like match.com where buyers of capacity uh so brokers freight brokers are essentially posting loads Uh, And then the trucking companies, the Tracy in this example, uh, would be looking for loads wherever she wants to go uh, for a load that meets her, uh, you know, what she's looking for uh, and pays her what she wants to get paid. Uh, She would take those loads uh, and uh, be able to fulfill those orders. So that's a load board marketplace typically ran by brokers. Uh, And then over time, she would get a couple of really close Shipper relationships and shippers in our uh, lexicon are the people that move that buy freight services. So these are the Walmarts and the P Gs and the Amazons that are buying capacity in the market. And so over time, if Tracy really wanted to get out of the sort of low end side of the market, the spot side of the market, she would move into developing close relationships with one or two really good shippers that can keep her trucks moving uh, at all times. And so uh, typically when you start in the industry, you're either going to start as a truck driver, as an employee driver. So you go work for a trucking company. It doesn't require you to, to go buy a truck. You would become an Oh, the other path was become an owner operator and signed up under a trucking authority. So a big trucking company would contract you and you would be contracted to them and they would help find loads for you. And now uh, we have this sort of digital marketplaces that are both the traditional load boards, uh, or electronic apps uh, where you can just download it like an Uber, and if you're an Uber driver, you can get loads from that app. It's a very similar uh, set of marketplaces in trucking uh, where you can find uh, orders that uh, will allow you to keep moving. So, effectively, Tracy, it, you know, for, if you decided you wanted to become a start a trucking company, within a couple of weeks, you could have a truck, you could have Amazing. your CDL. And you would be off to the races and and in this market, probably making $200,000 a year in gross revenue and your cost of goods sold or your operating costs be about a hundred thousand. So you would make in profit today about a hundred thousand. Now here's the challenge. The market, if it collapses and it will at some point, this is a boom and bust cycle. So at some point you would go from making 200,000 to probably, uh, uh, in in revenue to about 80,000 and your operating costs would stay consistent. Mm. So you would actually end up losing. And that's what causes this bankruptcy cycle that we see a lot.
1: So I have so many questions, but I mean, number one, this idea of drivers choosing a load or a route that they want to take, it reminds me a lot of the way airline pilots bid for individual schedules, like typically at the airline that actually employs them. But They do kind of have the system where they can choose where they want to go. And then I guess my big question based on that is, is there actually a trucker shortage if we have 11,000 new trucking companies being created? It seems like things are moving. It seems like truck drivers have some flexibility in the routes that they're choosing to take. I guess I'm curious, like, is it an actual shortage or are truck drivers just avoiding certain routes or certain types of work in the market?
2: Tracy, I'm so glad you asked this question because... Oftentimes, people talk about a "quote unquote" driver shortage without really exploring what that means. And so, I don't like the word "driver shortage" because it's it's a term that is actually doesn't really explain much in terms of what's actually taking place. Mm-hmm. And so, the way I think of the industry constructs are uh, a driver shortage is really a truck a trucking company a fleet. That doesn't have a driver. They have a truck, but they don't have a driver for that truck. That's a driver shortage, the way we would describe it at FreightWaves. And then you have capacity shortages, which is which are imbalances between supply and demand. Mm. Now, you can have a driver shortage and a capacity shortage at the same time. So a fleet or across the entire industry, you can have driver shortages. So we have more trucks than we do drivers to drive them. That does happen. Um, And then you can also have capacity shortages, which means there's more freight demand than there are trucks to uh, haul it, Uh, or you can have a capacity glut uh, at the same time. So so if you think about it from the perspective of what's happening right now is there is a capacity shortage because the demand is so high. And so just using the term driver shortage at times doesn't really describe what's happening because back in 2019, we had a capacity glut, but some trucking companies had uh, didn't have drivers to fulfill the trucks, but they didn't need to because there wasn't enough freight to actually create demand on those trucks
0: i have a sort of very quick question and it just again goes back to tracy's uh company that she's going to launch are there actually uh trucks for sale
2: (laughs) yeah so there's a used market uh now you can't today get a new truck so the issue is that this is an asset so the other thing creates real economic issues for trucking companies Typically, that own assets. If you think about owning assets, if you own a building or a warehouse, you're gonna that asset over time should appreciate, and over time, uh, you're gonna hold on to that for thirty years. Even in the shipping industry, as you guys have covered, those ships have life cycles of twenty to thirty years, and so if I go buy a ship, I'm able to uh, operate that ship for thirty years. In trucking, I'm only gonna be able to operate that truck for three years. Oh, wow. uh, And so so really, as I run that truck and put as many miles as I can, there is a secondary market for that. Uh, And so typically what happens is the larger fleets or the owner-operators that run nationwide will end up running the truck for three years. And after the three-year cycle, they will end up selling it into a secondary market, which will end up going to more localized operations, port operators, people that don't have as strenuous sort of over the road, long haul demands. And so uh, because of that, uh, the trucking companies have to go out and buy new trucks every three, you know, they're constantly buying new equipment. So you have this really big issue uh, where the, you know, trucks don't hold their value. So based on what cycle we're in, in terms of boom or bust depends on how well they do. And so that's a pretty significant issue. But uh, right now, uh, used trucks have gone up about 40% in the last three months. So it's good if you own equipment and you can sell that equipment. If you have too many trucks and not enough drivers, you're, you're doing quite well because your balance sheets have really, really improved. And so we're actually seeing a lot of that. But ordering a new truck, you're about nine months out. Uh, to get it. If you ordered a truck today, it would take you approximately nine months to get it. And that is assuming that they will even take your order. Right now, a lot of the OEMs are not actually accepting new truck orders.
1: Just going back, uh, to truckers for a second because you know my new trucking company we obviously care about the equipment but we <laughs> care very much about our uh, human capital as well but my understanding is that there's a lot of turnover among drivers too so you know trucks might get worn out after 3 years drivers might get worn out in even less time and leave the industry altogether could you maybe describe how desirable is being a truck driver as an occupation at the moment. So Joe and I talked about how we both have this sort of romanticized view of it. Could you maybe um, tell us what it's really like and how it stacks up against the money that you're actually being paid to do it at the moment?
2: The realities are quite different than your romanticized view of the industry. Mm-hmm. It is a tough job. So if you're an owner operator, you will make in this market because the demand is so high, you would do quite well. You know, you probably would net one hundred thousand dollars. As an employee driver, you're probably going to be making about fifty five dollars to $60,000 as an employee driver per year, and you're going to be paid on a per-mile basis. Um, you're going to you're gonna run your truck or, or drive or work about 56 hours on a given week. So it's not a 40-hour week. You're actually working 56 hours. But here's the reality is you're not at home every single night for the vast majority of the drivers. You're actually out and so while you may not be on duty for that you know 56 hours in a given week you're you're still at a truck stop you know you're still dealing with sort of being out over the road. So it's, it's a really, it creates a lot of strain on families. Uh, it creates a lot of strain on on people. It takes a special kind of person to want uh, a life where they're out in the road. It's it's a job that's very dangerous. It's one of the most dangerous jobs in America. Uh, it's a job that has very uh, high occupational uh, issues in terms of health. Uh, you're sitting in a truck for a you know, you're driving for 11 hours a day, You're sitting, which, you know, drivers have high incidence of obesity and diabetes. So it's not a great lifestyle. Uh, And uh, for all of those reasons, it's not a desirable job for for a large percent of the population. And then unfortunately, the industry salaries have not kept up with Hmm. a lot of the competitive industries, which they compete for labor, like warehousing, construction, other types of industries which tend to pull the same labor force.
0: So, I'm curious like on this like what were the tra- and I, you alluded to this at the very beginning, the the workplace trends, but what was the trajectory of sort of people entering the workforce, making their careers as truck drivers. And then in this particular spike, has there been any like um, pay dynamic or any increase in wage that has perhaps brought people off the sidelines, either to get back into trucking or to get their CDL?
2: Yeah. So let's let's talk about two things. One is there's effectively two separate markets between the employed driver market, which is someone who goes and gets a job at a trucking company, mm-hmm. which is actually seen a three. Per, there's three percent less truck drivers today that work for fleets than there were. Pre-COVID, so we actually lost three percent of the industry that the driving force uh, of employees. And then we've seen uh, an increase in eleven thousand trucking companies in the last month. Those are not employees; those are essentially fleet operators uh, that are in that. So we've seen some a lot of growth in the owner-operator market or the spot market because they can make a lot more money. And we've seen uh, a shortage in the uh, employee drivers. And so turnover typically in a trucking company is 115 to 120% uh, because a lot of people enter enter the industry, but don't really know what they're getting into. They have this sort of idol, you know, Tracy has this sort of idolized view of how great this is going to be. And she enters the industry. She goes to a trucking school and is excited about her career for the first couple of weeks and then realizes just how... Tough, it, it really is to be a truck driver, and so she ends up quitting and deciding it's not a great job for her. And so she ends up going to work at a at a warehouse or ends up going to do construction where she can make today more money than she can be for can be a truck driver. And so there's just a lot of structural issues that are there.
0: Just for the how long uh, is truck driving school? How long would it take an average person to go from never having driven a truck to being uh, licensed?
2: Uh, six to eight weeks. Um, and it depends. And this is in a, in a COVID world, 25% of trucking schools have shut down. So this is the other issue is that, uh, if you you sort of look at it, a lot of States didn't, uh, treat trucking as a critical job or a truck driving schools as a critical job. So they were basically, a lot of them were mandated to be shut down. And so a, a large percent of the people that enter the industry that become employee drivers uh, Enter through the truck driving schools, and we lost twenty five percent of them. And even the ones that uh, did have survived uh, were actually shut down for months, uh, a couple of months. And so there was this big shortage of bringing new people into the industry uh, for for those jobs. And that's what's really created this capacity constraint that we see right now.
1: So one thing I've been thinking about is: is there a way aside from raising wages, um, because you mentioned this is a slim margin industry and you know maybe giving truck drivers a massive pay rise doesn't really work economically. But is there a way to make the job more, I don't want to say enjoyable, but maybe less stressful or make the lifestyle less um, onerous so that you attract more people, particularly women and maybe some other minorities who aren't necessarily interested in truck driving at the moment, so that you entice them into the job, and you have a bigger pool of potential drivers?
2: Every trucking company is trying to figure that out, and no one has sort of figured out the secret to it. There are certainly initiatives to bring women. Some fleets have as as much as 25% of their fleet are women. Uh, Automated transmissions, sort of removing the stick, if you will, actually attracted a lot of women. Mm -hmm. A lot of the OEMs have designed trucks that are in, in seats that are more comfortable for women, are allowed for someone who's shorter, has a smaller body to fit inside the cab. Uh, and typically the trucks were built for men, you know, big, big sort of big, oversized uh, environments. And now they've sort of uh, focused on the aesthetics to attract more women to the industry. And so there certainly is an element of that, uh, but the industry's not figured it out. Now we do see large investments around recruiting Latino drivers, recruiting African-American drivers, recruiting, you know, one of the largest population of truck drivers has been very successful, has been uh, Indian populations. And trucking is actually a very respected industry in India. Uh, and so a lot of the trucking companies have figured out that they can bring in you know, bring in immigrants uh, from India that have a pedigree in trucking, and they will bring their families and their friends to join their fleet, and so there's this very large population of of Indian American truck drivers uh, that have have been very successful. So there is a effort to diversify the industry, but it's still an industry that is not attractive to a lot of people when they can find alternative work. You know, one of the issues that you you have in in sort of as you diversify is Latino populations tend to want to stay close to families. So the lifestyle of being a truck driver doesn't work great for someone who wants to be with their family on a, you know, every night basis. Um, And so you have sort of these constraints that exist in the industry, and there really isn't uh, an easy answer. Um, The job itself requires you to be out over the road. You know, freight has to move. It is inconsistent. You you don't have a consistent schedule. You're not hauling a consistent route, and so there's just a lot of structural issues that are not easily addressed.
1: So first of all, I hope if we do get a lot more um, Indian or Indian American drivers, that they bring the uh, the Indian tradition of decorating. The trucks with them because <laughs> they do oh, they oh, do good.
2: there's there are some awesome youtube videos which are bodywood style and they're they're incredible because they're they are dancing in front of their rigs <laughs> and they've outfitted these beautiful rigs it is and, and 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 the job itself is one of pride it is one that they're very proud mm. of the job and it's it is an unusually there's an esteem associated with, with becoming a truck driver, and uh, it's an industry or a, a group of population that the industry has been very successful recruiting. And the challenge is, because of the American immigration policy, it uh, doesn't allow us to import hundreds of thousands of, of uh, folks from India to take these jobs. And so we're sort of stuck with a small portion of the industry that, that fits that demographic.
1: Yeah. So I've seen some of those trucks in India and Pakistan, and they are absolutely beautiful. And I think I've spent like a lot of time photographing them myself. But um, the other thing I want to ask is, so if, if you think that being away from home is a major downside for potential truck drivers, is there any way... To try to fix that problem, like could you organize some of the trucking routes more efficiently? Could you develop some sort of handoff system where instead of having a single driver drive from, you know, like the West Coast to the East Coast, they could maybe pass on their loads from like, you know, midway through the journey or, or something like that, so that they wouldn't have to spend so much time away from their home or their home base? Or does that not just work economically? or logistically?
2: It's very difficult. And it is tried in, you know, it is tried and successful in sort of parcel operations and what they call LTL, which are small pallets or small parcel, where I'm running a terminal to terminal uh, network. And I sort of, it's sort of a closed loop, if you will, where the same set of drivers are going back and forth. So it does work in very limited cases, but supply chains, the, the issue is that this, the customer demands, the supply chain demands, are very different than the driver uh, and trucking demands. And so what supply chains want are products there as fast as possible. They want them efficient. You know, they want to move. There's a lot of liquidity demanded in the supply chain. And so you can't optimize the trucking market or network to the degree that, um, you would want to if you if everything else is created equal. So for those reasons, you know, freight tends to run what we call headhaul and backhaul. So you see places like Southern California, LA, which, you know, is the largest port in the United States, you know, a lot of freight enters LA, but very fra- very little freight is imported into Southern California from the rest of the country. So what you have is this massive head hall market out, out of Southern California that goes all over the country. And then basically very little freight's coming from the other parts of the country back to LA. So there's just a lot of inefficiencies in how supply chains work that create these issues. And frankly, customers want things as soon as possible. Businesses want them as soon as possible. And for those reasons, you can't optimize, uh, as you mentioned, sort of these handoff scenarios. Companies have tried it. It just doesn't work very well.
0: So that perfectly leads to where I was going to go next, because, you know, we've talked about a lot about some of the big structural issues facing this industry, but also the current moment for supply chains. And we've touched on it a little bit, has some unique challenges. And I think that's a good place to start the the, the gap between outbound shipments from the Port of Los Angeles elsewhere versus inbound, which was already very, um, you know, there was already a big disparity for years but that's really grown massively in this crisis because of all the goods imported and how little is being exported. And that has created its own unique challenges for shipping, You know, because the, the ships aren't taking back as many containers and so forth, and we've talked about that. So let's talk about like, other than just the pure like overwhelming sort of like supply-demand mismatch, how else are the sort of like new imbalances making this moment even worse and exacerbating some of the structural problems for this industry?
2: Well, the, you know, this is interesting because I listened to a couple of your podcasts, particularly around shipping, and people are now aware of all of the things that can go wrong in a supply chain where before no one cared. And so for someone who does this, uh, this is, you know, something we do, I do full time. It's really, it's it's a really interesting time because all of a sudden people are very aware and very concerned about all of the stuff that's taking place uh, across the global supply chain whereas before no one cared i would often get asked can you actually build a media and data business for freight it seems like a very small niche and i'm like well it's 12% of the global economy and 40% of the econ- the global economy is in logistics dependent industries but everybody sort of ignored it because they all assumed it all worked because they didn't they didn't experience these issues so these issues that we're seeing have always existed just not to the degree that the the market was already strained and stretched uh, that we see right now, and frankly, most people were not aware of it. We've always had hurricanes that have disrupted supply chains. We've we've had at times pipeline issues. We've had you know presidents that shut down borders that create massive disruptions. Um, just just out of you know, uh, send out a tweet, and all of a sudden, I'm going to shut down the Mexican border because you. I I don't like the fact that you're not paying for my wall. And if you do that, then all of a sudden, the auto suppliers have to put a lot of inventory into Southern Texas so that they have it available. These things are always playing out. And now we're really aware as a society how vulnerable you are to supply chain disruptions, which have always existed, just not at the degree they are and not back to back. And so uh, a lot of this is sort of an, I think a new awareness, a new level of respect that people have, Hmm. there's all this interdependency. So you look at what's happened in shipping, it certainly impacts the trucking market. And it's both ways, because what what ends up happening is the trucking market, as much as one fifth of trucking volumes are tied directly to imports. And for those reasons, when you see this massive amount of imports hit the freight market, uh, it creates an enormous amount of strain in uh, in terms of trucking capacity or trucking demand. And for those reasons, we're seeing a lot of issues. Uh, And just look at tight inventories and look at the lack of labor supply. All of this stuff is playing out. And now people are experiencing that only in their business life, but they're experiencing their personal life.
1: So, You mentioned the idea that even though the trucking industry is in a boom now and people can make a lot of money, that it's almost certainly going to end up in a bust and overcapacity at some point in time. And this is something that keeps cropping up in all of our discussions about shipping. And I'm just wondering, what is it about the transport industry that seems to make it so cyclical in nature? So, You mentioned the low barriers to entry for trucking, and I I could see how you would get a bunch of people who start trucking companies when times are good, and they think it's an easy way to make money. And then when things get a little bit more difficult, they all go bust, and it's a sort of self-fulfilling cycle. But it's a little bit different in shipping, where you do have long lead times to build very, very expensive vessels. It's dominated by a, a few companies that have a decent amount of money, or at least... More money than some of the trucking companies, so I guess my question is, what's the common thread between all these transportation and logistics companies that seems to make them very, very vulnerable to these cycles of booms and busts?
2: Yeah, it's a it's a great question. So in the shipping market, I'm going to own a ship for 30 years. So these shipping cycles typically play out over decades. Um, you know, the the shipping industry. Uh, has had this sort of recessionary environment since 2008, since the great financial crisis. And in the last two years, it sort of has had has sort of come out of that. And COVID really accelerated that. So that cycle will probably live on for some some period of time. Uh, In trucking, they typically the industry runs in three to four year cycles because it's very it's very close to the broader industrial cycle of the economy of the uh, domestic economy. Uh, and so for those reasons, if the industrial sector is very soft, so will trucking and But what happens is because of the lack of barriers of entry, people, when they enter the industry, they go out and buy these trucks, you all of a sudden have this glut of capacity and the industry has to prune that during the softer time. So 2018 was a record year for trucking. 2019 was the worst year in trucking since uh, the Great Depression. Uh, 2020, we saw two, you know, really three cycles. We saw The run-up to COVID where you had this massive surge in demand. We saw a crash where you saw this massive hangover. Uh, So in March, you saw this massive surge. In April, you saw this massive hangover. And then we've seen a a super demand cycle since then. And so uh, these cycles live out. And because there's very little barriers of entry, it allows the industry to get oversupplied really, really quickly. And because you have such a fragmented market, there are 40,000 trucking companies that have have employees uh, that work for them, that have more than one truck. And for those reasons, there are so many independent decision makers uh, that are out making decisions on what's in their best interest and oftentimes don't have ubiquitous information across the industry uh, that they end up, end up buying more trucks, growing their fleet, and increasing their costs along the way. So right now, what's happening is the trucking industry is dramatically increasing labor costs. They're trying to attract new drivers into the industry uh, by increasing salaries. Well, the, the problem is when the market busts, they will be stuck with those uh, salaries. So their operating costs have gone up. The operating costs have shot you know, way up. They will have to live with those higher operating costs. And it's OK as, the mar- as long as the market's doing well. But when the market, when the volume dries up, as it inevitably will, uh, they will be stuck with very high operating costs and we'll just see a massive bleed out in the industry.
0: Can you just go back and talk about 2019 specifically? I mean, that is pretty striking. Did you say it was the worst year for, in a, on a growth basis since the Depression?
2: It was the worst trucking market in terms of bankruptcies since the, well, recession, since the Great Recession. So so
0: just walk, walk us through, if you don't mind, like give us the summary of what really happened in 2019.
2: Well, 2018, so the government created this new mandate called the electronic logging device, which basically in the old days, truck drivers would, would use paper logs and they uh, were yeah. cheating or creative accounting, as we like to call it. A lot of them were cheating the amount of time. Now the big trucking companies, and there's always this rub between the small trucking companies, which are the independents, and the big trucking companies. And so there's always this sort of the the little guys and the big guys are sort of always fighting it out in terms of what regulations. So the big carriers are all constantly getting sued and and constantly getting audited by the federal government and others. So they have to keep things really really tight and compliant. Uh, otherwise, they just you know the. It would be a pretty nasty situation for them. So the small carriers have don't typically have to operate uh, in that fashion or have not operated. So the government mandated they call electronic logging devices, which actually electronically monitor the amount of hours a driver drives. And so it records all that information. And so this. Everyone sort of expected this massive churn of capacity, uh, and because everybody thought, "Well, this is going to you know destroy a lot of the available capacity in the market," and for a short term, it, short time, it did. Uh, They're expecting that this would create such a tightness in capacity that the rules will be different this time. And this is something the industry always says, it's different this time. You'll hear this a lot. I, people say that all the time to me. Oh, this time it's different. Well, I've heard that for 42 years since I, you know, I grew up in the industry. So I've heard that. It's never different. It's just the maybe the situation's different, but the rules are always the same. And so the industry ramped up a lot of capacity, headed up to the ELD mandate. The ELD mandate happened And what they expected to happen was this massive contraction in capacity. We actually saw the opposite. We actually saw a building of capacity. And so it was a lot of additional supply brought into the market over six to nine months in 2018. Now, at the time in 2018, there was a lot of industrial demand. The industrial economy was doing quite well. This was post Donald Trump's tax uh, cuts. Uh, It was sort of you know, the the economy was doing really well. All of a sudden we had tariffs put in place in mid-2018 and we saw an industrial slowdown uh, throughout the economy. And so as the economy slowed down, the industry was still building up capacity and they were continuing to build up that capacity uh, all the way until about the third quarter or fourth quarter of 2018. And then with the slowdown in the industrial economy, at of time when capacity had been overbuilt, you had this massive, massive uh, uh, issue in 2019 where uh, the market was oversupplied and we saw a lot of bankruptcies. You know, we at Freightways were covering probably four bankruptcies at one point, uh, four bankruptcies a day wow. where we would, you know, and some of them were big. There was a 4,000 publicly traded company that went out, uh, went out of business Uh, New England Motor Freight, which is a New York-based LTL carrier, went out of business. So, you know, there's just a lot of bankruptcies that happened in 2019 because uh, uh, these companies just couldn't survive it.
1: So, this sort of gets back to... The question that I asked earlier, but is there anything that can be done in order to balance out the industry from mm-hmm. this boom bust cycle?
2: No, it is. It's classic no. economics. Okay. And and so, I mean, Tracy, this is just the reality of it. And a lot of people assume. And so I grew up, my dad uh, started a, a trucking company. My uncle started a trucking company. My, my grandfather was, was in trucking. And so I've grown up listening to my dad talk about these cycles. And it's existed as far back as I can remember, uh, these cycles. Uh, and so even, you know, we have something called the Hall of Fame at Freightways, which is we cover stories about historical trucking companies that feature it. A lot of them are now out of business. Um If you go back to nineteen eighty pre deregulation, so there was a time when trucking was a great industry and a great job, and that was pre deregulation But when the Carter administration deregulated trucking in the in the late seventies along with the airlines and telecommunications sector when they when they deregulated over you know the uh, during that period of time, what ended up happening is that you, you saw a massive drop in transportation costs percent of GDP. But what you also saw was this massive boom of month cycle. Rates used to be fixed, which means there was no marketplace for rates, you would have a fixed rate. You would have to file the tariff with the government and only certain carriers could bid on lanes, very similar to the way the airlines work today uh, in terms of international uh, sort of, you know, they they restrict how many airlines can fly internationally in these routes. Um, But pricing was also fixed. and, And so for those reasons, it was a very stable market. But when the government deregulated it, it allowed a lot of you know, just this massive sort of uh, level of volatility that is going to be with us as long as the economic cycle does. Which you know, as long as as long as we live in a free-ish market, you'll always have that.
0: Well, I have an idea to stabilize the trucking market, and I'm going and tell me why if it's ever been tried and why it won't work. I mean, I'm sure it won't work because someone would have done it. But instead of Tracy starting a independent truck driving company. Why doesn't she start like a private equity roll up that buys 5000 different (laughs) trucking companies and then create some really slick digital platform where it's so that it's more than the Craigslist for trucking and give repeat customers a nice break and try to like really, you know, become the mayor of trucking in some way? Why wouldn't that work?
1: Can I just say that my dream of being a lone truck driver left to my own devices has suddenly morphed into me becoming like yeah. a private equity tycoon ruling over some sort of tech fuel <laughs> dystopian? I'm just trying future. to think
0: of a different approach that might be more sustainable. Yeah,
1: okay, go ahead.
2: Tracy, you would be you would be far happier <laughs> uh, being sitting on the financial side of the industry than driving okay. a truck. And and so like it's hard work. And I, I don't want to yeah. be dismissive to the drivers. It is hard work and they you know, they keep the economy running. and But
0: I can't be the first to have thought of this. Well, you're not.
2: But the, the track record of private equity roll-ups is, is one that is not great. So we've seen this tried so there's really a couple of markets. You've seen the LTL and parcel market. There's been very successful roll-ups in the LTL market. Brad Jacobs at XPO has has rolled up a lot of the sort of trucking entities uh, in the LTL uh, and forwarding market and has been very huh. successful there. But in the truckload market, the market that we've talked predominance of today, that full truckload market where the vast majority of capacity lives, um, it is very difficult because it takes someone who understands how to operate an entity. And there are no no economies of scale. And here's the reason, Mm. is that drivers are the factor that matter most in trucking. And the problem is if you start rolling up a bunch of companies, you have all of these cultural issues and scale is not your friend when you're dealing with human capital. And so as you start to roll up entities, oftentimes the companies don't have similar operating uh, 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 lanes. Uh, they don't have similar networks. They don't even have similar equipment. And then you have the human factor, which typically as you get bigger, you, you tend to have to have more strenuous requirements on who you hire because your insurance companies will demand it because you're now a much bigger target in a courtroom. Uh, It just, there are no economies of scale on on size. And so even the large public trucking companies or private for that matter, that have, that are ran by operators, their track record in doing big acquisitions is is just not great. There have been a couple that have been very successful. There's a company out of Canada called Transforce, which is is probably the most successful acquirer, uh, which does acquire companies and has been successful sort of really operating them. And then Knight Swift uh, has also had a successful track record of buying and acquiring. But those were exceptions with exceptional management teams, but they're not private equity. So private equity has a very, very poor track record of acquiring companies. Oftentimes, they, they, it ends up really, really ugly for them because they just don't know how to operate it. They don't. Trucking is an industry yeah. that they're constantly playing. You know, you're playing defense on a constant basis because you're dealing with all these factors that you have to deal with. When when the market's good as it is right now where you would think trucking companies are doing really, really great. They're actually struggling because they can't find people to fill their trucks. And so when markets are good, you have a new set of problems. And so you go fix those set of problems by increasing driver salaries. And all of a sudden, you're and everyone else is doing it. So you're constantly having to play catch up. And then you're stuck with those higher salaries when the market softens. And so it's just, it's a very tough environment. Now, there are other parts of the, the market, like what we call freight brokerages, which there are 16,000 independent freight brokerages in the United States. These are effectively the day traders of the market. If you ran a consumer products company, you're probably using a freight broker because that tends to be where they 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 live a lot in that market uh, but they are the intermediaries and that's where all the money is at they don't own the assets they don't have to deal with the drivers they don't have to deal with the insurance typically and so for those reasons they do quite well and there's it's been a very attractive private equity play but in trucking asset based trucking it's it is not a good private equity play there's no return on assets and and for those reasons it's just it's a really nasty
1: industry i do have to say i find it so I find it so counterintuitive that for a logistics industry, scale might not be the answer to all its problems. Like you would think that if you could just like increase size, increase the network, there would be some efficiencies there. But it seems like you're suggesting that's not necessarily the case.
0: Well, just to add to Tracy's question, you know, like is the difference between and it sounds like the difference between, say, like trucking, full truckload trucking that we're talking about versus say UPS or FedEx is really how taxing the job is to the humans. Is that the key difference there?
2: Well, FedEx and UPS, we would never describe FedEx and UPS as trucking companies. No, no, Um, no, no,
0: no. I just mean in terms of like a national logistics company, like the reason why that type of logistics and uh, package shipment can scale nationally versus trucking where you don't get those scales it sounds like a big difference is how taxing it is on the actual humans who have to do the job
2: it's it's partially that but it's also because the parcel market at, you know FedEx and UPS have these very sophisticated and very expensive physical networks that go beyond just the trucks and the planes they have physical warehouses and sorting facilities which affords some economies of scale. Like it's very difficult. And Amazon is, is is certainly probably the only company that that could pull this off or is trying to pull this off is to build this infrastructure of warehouses and sorting centers and, and network to sort of rival FedEx and UPS. Even DHL, you know, the world's largest parcel company has struggled in the United States to compete against FedEx and UPS because they're so entrenched. And those companies have done exceptionally well, even with, Amazon is a competitor and, and and companies that have tried to, to you know, like DHL that tried to come in the market. Truckload is very different because it's a fungible commodity. You know, shippers don't really, they have relationships, but most of the freight moves based on rate. Uh, and that rate is set by the conditions in the markets. So when the market's oversupplied, rates collapse. When the market is undersupplied, rates shoot up. And there's always a rate that's available in the market. Uh, you can always move your freight for the right price, even if that price is you know, a hundred dollars a mile. You can find someone to do it. So, for those reasons, um, it's it's just it's a market that that has these substantial booms and bus cycles, uh, and is very difficult and doesn't uh, allow for economies of scale. Now, the reason you don't get economies of scale comes down to the truck driver. That is the factor here. And if we sort of fast forward to two thousand and thirty five, two thousand and forty, when we have autonomous or driverless trucks, that's when I think it's an attractive industry for private equity. That's when it's an attractive industry for technology. As you mentioned, Joe, why don't we build a digital experience and marketplace and put it into a private equity roll-up? When we get there, when we get to eliminating the driver as the a factor in the industry, that's when we will see big dollars into the industry and private equity really make some significant plays. Um, and frankly, a lot of the carriers that exist today just won't survive that.
0: Yeah, what is the state of that? And like, how much does the planning for that theoretical eventuality? Um, how much is that affecting the industry today? And like, sort of like, what are you watching there? Like, how realistic is it? What's the time frame? Anna what's your what's your what's your sense of it?
2: It's very speculative. It it's it is there's been a lot of venture capital poured into autonomous driving. Uh there's been some SPACs that have gone public for autonomous trucking services. There's a lot of reasons to to be bullish on the economics of autonomous trucking. For many of the reasons I've talked about, eliminates the driver as sort of the factor in the industry. And then you can get economies of scale and you can optimize this this industry. But it is is not a technological limitation. So if if you look at it, the technology will be here, autonomous driving. And there are, you know, around ports and closed loop environments, There are autonomous trucking or autonomous freight operations happening right now. The port of Rotterdam is is largely an automated or semi-autonomous facility. You see the ports in in, uh, different parts of the world, which have built some level of autonomy. So we do see the ability and the technology is certainly we're on the cusp of having the technology to be able to do this. That's not your issue. The issue is the regulatory environment. So. 29, in 29 states, the number one job is truck driving. And so when you create autonomy, and that autonomy allows a trucking company to haul freight without a driver, then you put those jobs at risk. Those jobs happen to be in red states or the the predominance of trucking jobs happen to be in states that tend to vote Republican or vote red. And so an environment which you would expect to be pro-business and support autonomy happens to be in states where a large percent of the population or a representative percent of the population have to be truck drivers. And so it's going to be a really difficult thing. And if you just look at our government constructs, we can't. You have to get the, the state, municipalities, and federal laws all to work together to allow point-to-point autonomy. And we can't even make federal laws with... It's a very dysfunctional government. So for that to happen, it, it just doesn't seem very likely in the next decade. So I think autonomy, we will see layers of autonomy, highway-only autonomy within the next decade, but point-to-point hmm. Being able to see a completely driverless, cabless truck is probably 20 years out.
0: Craig, I think that's a great place to drop it. Uh, that was a fantastic uh, conversation. I learned so much and I uh, really appreciate you uh, coming on. Yeah, appreciate
2: it. Uh, if, Tracy, if you ever want to to drive a truck for a day, <laughs> uh, just let me know. I will help make those arrangements. You can do a whole episode in the truck. Oh, I would
1: love to do that. That would be yeah. Amazing. We're gonna do that. You guys should do yeah. it. I'm I'm gonna start thinking about my uh my trucking handle right now.
2: Uh, so let me know, and I will make those arrangements. Oh,
0: yes, I'm psyched. Thanks, Craig. That was
1: great. Thanks so much.
2: All right, Tracy. Thanks, Joe.
0: Tracy, I kind of feel like I know why so many people told us we had to talk to Craig.
1: Oh, totally. That was a fascinating conversation. And he was really good at digging into, you know, I kind of expected us to talk more about the truck driver shortage and the experience of being a truck driver and whether or not higher wages would solve the problem and that sort of thing. But Craig was very good at giving an industry level overview of how the entire trucking landscape works. So that was great.
0: Yeah, that was really interesting. And obviously, like, it it's clear, like, it's just such a mess. I mean, the fact that like 2019, which for the rest of the economy was I don't think, you know, it was, it was a good it was a good year for the economy. Totally. And so the fact that in what was what was a good year for the U.S. economy was the worst year <laughs> for truck driving bankruptcies since the Great Depression is just sort of like an astonishing fact that speaks to how brutal this area already was all going into the coronavirus crisis.
1: But this is the thing that I was sort of trying to get to with the question about scale and logistics. Like it just seems so strange that industries that are all about getting efficiently from point A to point B seem to be so prone to their own idiosyncratic chaos and, you know, um problems. And I guess I guess what what we're learning from the entire past year is that it's really hard to make forecasts. And the higher up you go on the supply chain, or maybe the further along you go on the supply chain, the more difficult making those forecasts actually is because you have to take into account more and more variables. And I feel like logistics and transport sort of sit at the very, very end of the supply chain. They're the last step between goods getting from you know, a factory or a shop to an individual. And so I feel like for them, it just becomes even more challenging to figure out future capacity. And and that seems to be one of the reasons for getting these big booms and busts.
0: You know, it's so interesting too, because from a market structure standpoint, like it seems like the exact opposite of shipping where it's like there's like three or four big players Mm -hmm. and it's all relationships and you got to know the guy at Maersk. In Copenhagen or whatever versus tens of thousands of trucking companies. <laughs> it's all just sort of done like on electronic message boards that still yeah. resemble that still resemble Craigslist, but none of them really seem to like be. None of them feel like twenty twenty one solutions. Like how you imagine things should work in the modern era.
1: No, absolutely, it's sort of like two different extremes of not twenty twenty one solutions. Yeah, but yeah. It, well, we have to take Craig up on uh, his truck driving offer. I feel like that's the the next stage.
0: We're definitely taking Craig up on that. All
1: right. We're going truck driving and then we're taking a barge up the Mississippi. And and, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then Coracle Journeys uh, next. It's like uh, planes, trains, and automobiles with Odd thoughts. Let's do it. Okay. This has been another episode of the Odd thoughts podcast. I'm Tracy Alloway. You can follow me on Twitter at Tracy Alloway.
0: And I'm Joe Weisenthal. You can follow me on Twitter at The Stalwart. And be sure to follow our guest on Twitter, uh, Craig Fuller. He's at Freight Alley. And follow our producer, Laura Carlson. She's at Laura M. Carlson. Follow the Bloomberg head of podcasts, Francesca Levy, at Francesca Today. And check out all of our podcasts at Bloomberg under the handle at Podcasts. Thanks for listening.